Did I ask to follow Peggy? No. <laughs> Do I have a resentment? Yes. But I want to tell you, there is a pocket of enthusiasm right here that I felt from the very beginning. Y'all start clapping before anybody starts speaking. I mean, I think that's just amazing. And I, you know, it's just, I think the fellowship is alive and well in the big O, and I am really grateful. My name is Stephanie, and I am a grateful member of the Al-Anon family groups. Hi, everybody. Yeah, let's clap. Okay, yeah. I don't think you're clapping for me, but you better be clapping for the Al-Anon family groups because I am enjoying a new way of life. And I love the fact that this is one of the slogans for this uh, convention today. The fact that we do have a great life and it's completely as a few years ago. I made a commitment to work the Al-Anon program to the best of my ability on July the 24th of 1985. Yeah, you're applauding the program, and I think that's just amazing. I would like to thank Dick and the committee for inviting me. Uh, I have received communications long before this event ever happened, and I felt welcomed and uh, appreciated before I ever showed up. And then I was given this special little angel, Diane, to greet me at the airport, and the, my plane was only two hours late. But... Um, <laughs> You know, she, was, she has been caring, and she is graciously present with me, and she is a support. And I shared with her yesterday when we met that, you know what, I always get a whole lot more than I give. I have, that's why it's just a joy and a privilege today. And I know that um, I get to hear from you in the meetings, uh, you know, how your life has changed over the Al-Anon program, the literature suggests, don't you love that word, suggest? Yeah, it's like do it or die. Um, the Al-Anon program suggests that I share with you this morning how sick I got, <laughs> how well I am, really difficult, and what helped me to get well with the emphasis being on what helped me to get well. So I'm going to try to do that with you this morning. I was born in Midland, Texas. Yes, Danny, if you had called me, I could have helped you get... <laughs> I want you to know that if you had just invited me on some of those escapades, I have the phrase you were looking for to get out of that Mexican jail. It goes like this, Yo quiero mi madre, por favor. <laughs> He said last night if he had just known how to speak Spanish, and he could have said, I want my mama. Um, <laughs> and that's what that was. But anyway, I was born in Midland, Texas, and I was uh, born into the oldest into a Catholic Italian family. Yay. Yeah, boy, sick. Woo. Um, but it gets even better because my birthday is Christmas Eve. Oh, isn't that special? It was me and Jesus, you know, and whenever, <laughs> whenever there was a celebration, I just assumed uh, I was born first, therefore, uh, you know, this past Christmas Eve, I celebrated 63 years, and I am so grateful to still be sucking air, I'll tell you. 
and probably the reason that Danny did not invite me to travel with him is because shortly after I was born, my family moved to San Antonio, and that's where I grew up. And I am really grateful that in these programs we have the fourth step. I needed to go back and see how I get to be, got to be how I was when I picked an alcoholic to marry. So in my inventory, I went back, and I need to tell you that there was not alcoholism in my home. My parents were social drinkers. So I had to see where did I get some of these beliefs that got me so messed up. Well, one of them was, if you did good, you got good. You know, so I was scared of making a mistake. You color inside the lines, you don't make any mistakes, and then you're going to be okay. First time you make a mistake, you better get your little behind to a confessional as fast as you can. So I grew up with a fear of God. I grew up scared to death. I don't think the church taught me that. I think that's something I created all by myself. I would also grew up with this thing that we are fine, thank you very much. My mother had a sign in our front yard, and it said, we are fine, thank you very much. And how are you? We are fine. How's everything going? We're fine. We're always fine. We've been fine. We're going to be fine. <laughs> you know, and the reason I tell you that is because, you know, I think even in my generation, nobody really knew how to validate feelings. You know, we never talked about how you felt. And I remember that my mama got mad at my daddy one time in the eight. She started crying. She walked out, slammed the door, got in the car, and drove off. So what I learned from that is when people get angry. So I'm telling you, my people pleasing is. I also know that um, I looked at you, and you looked so put together, and I felt less than. I don't know why. It's just the way I grew up. My daddy worked three jobs to try to support our family, so he was, he was there physically but not emotionally. I also know that my mother was one of eight children, and she was raised in a home where her daddy was a bootlegger, and a lot of her siblings have drinking problems. And so I believe that my mother was raised by an untreated Al-Anon. Now, what I want you to hear me say is that when you see somebody and you see some sick behavior, you know she must be an Al-Anon. Well, you are an Al-Anon if you go to meeting steps. You are an untreated Al-Anon if you just hang out with you guys and it gets all over you, you know. <laughs> so when I know that my mother was raised by an untreated Al-Anon, and my mother is today an untreated Al-Anon, and that's the home I grew up in. I grew up in a home where my daddy was not really present for us, although he showed up every night. And he wasn't emotionally available for us, and my mother was an untreated Al-Anon. So as I'm a senior in high school, and I meet the man I fall in love with. And, and oh my gosh, we dated for four and a half years before we got married. After we graduated from college, we moved to Austin, and that's where we began our life together. So I'm a school teacher. That's what I've always wanted to do. So I'm teaching school. Bill's got a job. He likes his job. And every once in a while, he travels for his work. And so he would call, and he would say, you know what? I just had the greatest happy hour. You know, after we met all day, we went out and had drinks. And then he said, you know what? They're serving free drinks on the planes today. He said, this is real. And so I'm hearing the word drink, drink, alcohol. It's starting to crop up. I hadn't heard it before at home. So I start to pay attention just a little bit, you know, and beer starts to show up in the refrigerator, and I start counting them, and, you know, but 
I just want to be sure that I know what's going on. You know, it's that uh, fear, that fear, fear, fear. So um, I need to tell you this little story. In, in uh, 1969, I became pregnant. And all I had ever wanted to do besides teach school was to be a mommy. And I am thrilled to death to be having a baby. So one of my Catholic Italian cousins is Tonio, and it's a Saturday morning. And it's in July of 1969. And I am telling you, it's beautiful. It, the sun is shining, and we drive from Austin to San Antonio, and oh, all these Catholic Italians, and they're so glad I'm pregnant, and they just think we're all doing it right, and she, you know, we have this beautiful wedding, and then we go and have a reception wing, and everybody's having such a time, and my cousin and his bride are going to fly to honeymoon, so we all go out to the airport to say goodbye. While we are at the airport, I have different relatives coming up to me saying, your husband is the fun. Somebody else comes up and says, you know, hey. Now, the reason I was a little unsure of their comments was because Bill was raised as an only child by a single mom. You put him in these Catholic Italian gatherings, he was not. So when they keep coming up to me saying this, I'm thinking, well, maybe he's good. He, he understands now how it's supposed to do. And so after the honeymoon couple's leaving and Bill comes up and he says, Stephanie, I'll be back in just a minute. So the plane taxis off and they fly off and we wave goodbye and we get ready to leave. So we have him paged. We go up and down the ramps. We go out to the car. We have no idea, idea where Bill is. So my uh, brother-in-law comes up to me and he says, oh, you did? And he said, yeah, he's passed out in the men's room. I said, he is. Oh, my. Well, we had to get an airport attendant to take the door off the hinges. We had to get a wheelchair. I had to pull up his britches and buckle those britches, and then we put him in that wheelchair. And, you know, I, my brother-in-law says, would you like for me to push the wheelchair? And I said, oh, no, he's my husband. I'll be happy. You know, I'm going to push this wheelchair. And so we're pushing the wheelchair out of the airport. Bill Butler's sliding out. We're shoving him back up again. Um, my mother is walking along beside me going, I cannot believe my son-in-law is drunk. And I said, oh, Mama, don't start. If you ever hear me say, bless his little heart, I'm having an Al-Anon slip. <laughs> I said, Mama, he is not drunk. He's just sick. And she said, Stephanie, your husband is drunk. I can't believe it. I said, Mama, stop saying it. Now, the reason I'm telling you that is because 19 years later, I am in a psychiatrist's office saying, do you think he could have a brain tumor? <laughs> I am pretty sure it's a brain tumor. Let's operate on that sucker, pull it out, and let us get on with the rest of our lives. <laughs> that denial was put in place that July of 1969. I was so sure that he was just sick. And I said that I cannot tell you how many times over the years. Denial is one of the most powerful emotions. So in August of 1969, a beautiful little baby, Laura, and I, oh, I love being a mommy. And 21 months later, our son, Wes, is born. So I'm telling you, this is just all I've ever wanted. I get to be a stay-at-home mama. I've gotten to teach school, and I think everything is great. Now, I have to tell you, we've got this little problem as the kids are growing up. You see, my idea of love is enmeshment. And every time Bill Butler went fishing, we all went fishing. Every time Bill Butler went hunting, we all went hunting. 
Now, you know, I just thought if you love somebody, you spent time with them. You know, and so I'm just I'm trying to keep us all together, and I'm trying to pay attention to how everybody is, and the kids are growing up, and I seem to have that hole on the inside of me that needs to be filled by the outside. So I am a soccer mom, a brownie scout leader, a president. I've joined a service organization. I'm doing everything I can. So Bill's drinking is escalating, of course. Laura's doing her deal, and Wes is doing all these sports. And you know, he, Wes is a lot like his mom. He needed to get his insides filled up by the outside. So he's on the playing field. He is playing soccer and little league baseball and doing judo and, you know, so he's a lot like me. But I'm trying to keep all these balls in the air. I want us to look good because, you know, I took that sign from my mother's front yard and I have put it in our front yard. We are fine. Thank you very much. And I want us to look good. You know, it's such a reflection on the parenting as to how the children do. (laughs) And I truly wanted everybody to know what a fantastic mom I was. So I'm trying to get the kids to follow and do all the rules, and you know, and and I'm watching Bill's drinking escalate, and I'm trying to do everything I can. Well, I need to tell you this little story. Uh, I don't know how old the kids were. They were young, and uh, we had a border collie, and our border collie was about to have puppies. And so since I had nothing else to do, I decided to shampoo Flopsy before she birthed to her litter of puppies. So what I did was I shampooed her, and then I got a little concerned because, you know, sometimes dogs are supposed to just run free and dry, and sometimes you're supposed to dry. Well, I wanted to be sure I did it right, of course, so I read on the bottle, and it said, do not... Oh, my goodness, I called Dr. Pygott. He's our vet. And I said, Dr. Pocket, what have I done? Worry about it. It's about two weeks till these are born. He said, I think everything will be okay. Sure enough, about two weeks later, and I called Dr. Pocket and I said, Dr. Pocket, happens? Well, about an hour later, another puppy was born alive. So I called Dr. Pocket and I said, Dr. Pocket, I did not kill all these puppies. We have a live puppy. And he said, I'm really happy for you, Stephanie. <laughs> And about an hour later, another puppy was born, and it was okay, so I called Dr. Pygott. <laughs> I called Dr. Pygott after every puppy, and there were six of them that... But I have to tell you, the seventh puppy was born and had trouble breathing, so I called Dr. Pygott. Dr. Pygott, this little guy is really small, and I don't know how he's going to make it. What am I? He said, well, do you have any alcohol in your house? And he said, well, I want you to put a little bit on the side out of the puppy's throat and drink the rest of that bottle. (laughs) Oh, that's a true story, and I want you to know if I could have, I would have. I was so tired. You know, I have been trying to get this family to look good and do good, and Bill's drinking escalating, and Wesley's, you know, striking out, and I'm telling him he can make it, he can make it, and Laura, well, bless her heart, Laura was born angry, and she'll tell you that. She just came out angry, and if there is a rule put in place, doesn't apply to her. And so she's not, you know, she's just not behaving like I want her to. And Wesley's out there, and I'm trying to be the best soccer mom ever. And, you know, and I'm trying to get Bill to join in, and we're supposed to look good. 
So, in July of uh, 1985, our, uh, no, it's in uh, February of 1985, our daughter Laura had to go in for jaw surgery. Beautiful if you looked at her from the front, but when you looked at her profile, she had a very young. So they had to go in and uh, crack her jawbone and slice it back and then wire her mouth shut. I love that part. Oh, my gosh. So Laura's going in for major teenager. She's in high school, and I'm paying attention. I am in that hospital there with my daughter, and for the first time, I realized that I was doing this. A few months later, I start to confront Bill, and he says, and so we took Laura to a psychologist. You know, she's the kid that's standing on the roof. I've got the sign in the front yard. She's on the roof going, these folks are crazy. Somebody come help us. You know? <laughs> this is a mad house, you know, and I'm, I want her to be a good girl. You know, follow the rules. Do like I did. So we take Laura to a psychologist, and we said, so he meets with Bill for a few minutes. Then he brings all three of us back together, and he says, yes. <laughs> you know, that daughter of ours goes, yes. Bill didn't want to pay the bill. But, you know, so he says to us, it looks like your drinking is out of hand. And he said that to Bill. Now, that was something I was never willing to look at or to even acknowledge. The second thing was he looked at me and he said, you're crying all the time. And that's what I do best. I cry. I cannot tell you how I feel. I can't let you know that I'm angry. All I do is cry. Do. And then he looked at Laura and he said, you're ex-. So we all go back home and Bill continues to drink and I continue to cry and Laura continues to act out because there was no resolution in that session. And so as, the, as that, the time in 1985 progressed, I started to pay more attention. And I finally got to a place one day where I said, I am so tired, and I'm looking at Bill. And you know, his drinking headed in such a way that he was puffing up like a little toad. It was like the vodka had just been absorbed in his body. And he and I was watching him drink, and he would come home from work, and he would say, what's for dinner? And I would tell him, and then five minutes later, he would come to her. And so, but you know, I was watching him, and I thought, this man is me. And I knew it was because I knew if I could just get him to stop drinking. So I did what we all begged. I cried. I did everything. Finally, in July of 1985, I said, I can't do it anymore. I really think you're going to, but it's not because you asked me to, it's because it's you. Uh, you know, as I go back and look at my life, I'm sure it was pretty hard to live with me. You know, I would not have told you that at the time, because I thought I was holding it all to Well, and so he left. And so about two days later, a friend from his work calls, and he said, stop. And I said, well, Jerry, he's so much, and he's dying, and I don't know about it. And all I could do was cry. And Jerry said, well, you know what? I'm a sober member of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I'll tell you what, that minute I would have done anything because I was so... I walked into that first Al-Anon, and I cried, of course, through the whole thing. And y'all were wonderful. You said, I go, my <laughs> And they go, that's okay, bad. <laughs> but you know what I did not know was that alcoholism is a... And if you have read... When I heard that, I thought, my... But then you followed it with, you have, but y'all told me that, 
and that I need help. You know, whatever you tell me, that's what I'm going to do. And you know what? They used a phrase, and I think I've even heard it in open AA meetings. We are spiritually, that's where I was. I have never been so tired in my life. I could not stop crying, and I was, I couldn't hold a thought in my brain. I would think to myself, I'm going to go clean that room, and I would walk in there and not know why I was there. But back then, it was just like I didn't know what my life was falling apart. So I was doing everything you told me. And two weeks later, Bill Butler calls, and he says, You know, Stephanie, I've been out at Willie's, and I've been trying to sober my help. So on August the 6th of 19... Now, let me tell you, I thought that that was the answer to all our problems. Well, we turned the page, and um, it was not the ending. It was just the beginning. I need to tell you that I got a sponsor... Her name's Blanche. Oh, my gosh. I did not know that Blanche had been an out. But let me tell you about Blanche. This woman was the first person that ever touched It's that unconditional love that we get in. She said, let's talk about this God of yours. And when I would share with her, don't you know that God would never do anything? He loves you. He cannot hurt you. And he cannot stop loving you. So Blanche and I would meet every week for an hour until we were up. And I would go sit on her couch. You would just love it. Well, I would sit on her couch and I would start talking. Five minutes left in the hour and she would say, would you like some feedback? <laughs> she just loved me. She just loved me. And she was the first one that could explain to me about the disease of alcoholism. I had found, I had judged Bill Butler and found him lacking all. I had just thought, put it down. What's the problem? I had no idea that it was a disease. Somebody for having a disease. So Bill's going to meetings and he's got a sponsor, a wonderful guy named Lon. I'm going to meetings and Blanche and I are meeting and I'm telling you now, I'm thinking we're doing pretty good. And I just am thrilled to death. We just have this one little problem. Her name's Laura. <laughs> you know, that beautiful daughter of ours, and she is beautiful, is a senior in high school, and of course she's breaking the rules. You see, there's just this problem. She did not like a drunk daddy, but she really didn't like a sober daddy. Yeah. You know, he's paying attention and he's watching, and so, bless her heart. Yeah, bless her heart. I mean that in a kind way. Um, <laughs> Uh, well, maybe not, because there were a few slips in there. But, you know, she's broken the rules. We've grounded her. We tell her that she, you know, has to be home for a week or whatever. And at the end of that week, she comes in and she says, Mama, the University of Texas is playing baseball, and I would like to go watch and play. It's a Sunday afternoon. Can I go? So Bill and I talk about it, and we said, yeah, you can go to that baseball game. Just be home by 6 o'clock. She said, you got it. So Sunday evening at 6 o'clock rolls around, and Laura does not come home. And Monday morning, Laura's not home. And Tuesday, Laura's not home. Now, Laura is a senior in... I do believe that it is God's will for everybody to graduate from high school. <laughs> I have decided that I need to try to make that happen. So I am calling Blanche, and I am saying, Blanche, what can we do? We've got to go find her. We've got to get her through this senior year. If we can get her from high, out of high school, I'm done. We just need to get her out. And Blanche says, pray. 
and I'm going, I'm trying, but I can't do it. Now, I had gone back to teaching because, obviously, my family didn't need me anymore, and I need to feel needed, and so I was teaching. And on the Wednesday of that week, and we had known Laura, my school day was over, and I was getting in my car, and just as I got ready to open the door, if what you're doing isn't working, try something Thursday comes, no Laura. Friday comes, no Laura. But Friday afternoon, the phone's. Hey, Mom, listen, I'm going to be a little bit late getting home this afternoon. Laura, I mean, as if nothing had happened. And she said, could you please videotape this thing for me because I'm not going to get there in time. She said, what? And I said, I love you and you. And so I said, I love you. And I. And so Bill walks in and he says, oh, you know, I told her she couldn't come meetings. <laughs> and I said, Bill, I don't know. But, well, you know that moment of clarity? You know that moment where God does for you? It lasted one moment. Saturday morning, I am at my Al-Anon meeting going, you won't believe what I just did. <laughs> I told Laura she couldn't come home. I don't know where she is. She just needs to graduate. From- oh, I'm crying, 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 crying. And y'all are coming up to me, patting my hand, and you're saying things to me like, did you? <laughs> I did not believe you. I thought we needed to go find this daughter, get her back. I have done a terrible thing. Why would anybody tell their 17-year-old daughter she can't come home? So, you know, I'm calling Blanche, and, and Blanche is saying to me, you know, Stephanie, God loves Laura more. We don't get her through high school. Well, Bill's going to calling around trying to find a treatment center, and so he found one. So Laura had been gone for a month. And we found out that she was over at Cherie's house. And so I, I called Blanche and said, Blanche, can I call Laura? I said, Bill's found out. And so, you know, Blanche said, yeah, if you don't say bless her little heart. And so I called Laura and I said, Laura, your daddy's found a place where you can go if you ever want attitude. What do I have to do? And I said, well, Daddy and I'll come pick you up tomorrow morning. So we picked Laura up on that Monday morning. Uh, my daughter had been living under... I cried, of course, all the way, and we drop her off, and the good news was go back home, and I'm going to my Al-Anon meeting. The AA Al-Anon guys came up to me, and he put his... Well, about two days after Laura was at that treatment center, I get a phone call, and she says, Mama, I need to ask you something. And I said, How would you feel about me being an alcoholic? <laughs> I said, Any 12-step program you want to latch on to is just fine with me, sweetie. She said, I'm an alcoholic. This past April the 6th, sobriety. Oh, my goodness. Now, the story didn't stop there, you see, because we went for family week. Don't you just love them? (gasps) And so the counselor looked at Laura, and while she was trying to talk to her dad, her anger kind of erupted, and the counselor said, I don't think she's ready to come home yet. And I said, you think? And so um, they suggested that Laura go to a halfway house in Minneapolis. And so we took Laura to this halfway house. Now, this is what I need for you to hear. I wanted Laura to graduate from high school. God said, let's let her graduate by correspondence, and let's give her a 12-step program. I would have cut it short. All I needed was that graduation. 
And God said, yes. Okay, so now Laura's back home. She's got a job, and Wesley's getting ready to go. And he has been a rule player. I mean, he does it just by the books. He is a fantastic young man. So right before his senior year, he decides he's going to be the best football player in McCallum High School scene. So he's out there doing these two. He's in the hospital for seven He has viral meningitis. Why would this God? Your boy has a virus, and God will sustain you. There were AAs. There were Alamans. And we said, Dr. Reem, he's going to be a Dr. Reem said, I can't. Wes did survive his class, walked across the stage, got pictures, you know, did the whole Kodak moment. So now Wesley's graduated and he's going to the University of Texas and Laura's got a job and, you know, we're going to meetings and we come home from our meetings and Bill said, man, we talked about the 11th step witchment. It was just wonderful. Then one day Bill Butler comes home and he said, Stephanie, how would you like to move to rest? And I said, why would we do that? And he said, well, I've been traveling a lot, and I'm tired of getting on airplanes. And he said, you know, Laura's got a job, Wes is in college, you know, rest in Virginia. And I said, sure, let's go. Now, the reason I said that was because houses in Austin, Texas in 1990 were not. Our neighbor's house had been on the market. (laughs) Yeah, our house sold in two weeks. So the AAs are over helping us paint and, you know, scrub floors and all this, and I'm crying, of course, and good old Tom comes up to me, and oh, I just love him. He comes up, and he said, Stephanie, I said, I don't think I can go. I said, I want to be with Bill. I don't think I can go. And he said, children, I cannot leave my sponsor. I cannot leave my ologist. I cannot leave my grocery store. I can't go. Tom put his arms around me, and he said, you know what, Virginia? <laughs> they don't do it right, but they have <laughs> I called Blanche. I said, Blanche, you will not believe what happened at this Alamon meeting. And she said, what? I said, I don't think they even mentioned higher power. I don't think one time. And she said, what are you doing? I said, I'm telling them how we do it in Texas. <laughs> she said, why don't you stop saying that? I did, and the meeting's gone. So now, you know, Bill and I are like on a second honeymoon. I'm teaching in this little school that I just love, and he's got a job he loves, and the kid in Texas, oh, hello, good. So yeah, call me later, bye. And, you know, <laughs> we're having a wonderful time. We have found wonderful meetings. We have even opened up our home, and we've got big book study in nights. So this is just, I mean, it couldn't be any And then I get a call from Laura. It's January. She says, Mom, I need to tell you something. I said, what? And she said, I found Wes passed out last night. I said, no, sweetheart. I said, Wesley saw his daddy nearly die of alcoholism. He saw you lose your home. Wesley will not be taking a drink. <laughs> Did I mention that denial thing? Well, she said, Mom, I took Wes to his first. So on January the 10th, oh, my gosh, a family in re- Every time we would go back to Austin and we're standing at that Northland Club holding hands saying the prayer and I'm crying. (laughs) Oh my gosh, could God get any better? I mean, I'm telling you, I am just about as happy as I can be. And then I get a call from Laura. She says, Mom, I need to tell you something. I said, what? And she said, I'm pregnant. I said, no, you're not. (laughs) 
She said, Mama, I'm going to have a baby. I said, no, Lord. I said, you see, first you have the wedding, and then you have the baby. You did not have a wedding. You will not have a baby. She said, do you want me to give this baby? No. And she said, do you want me to have an abortion? No. And she said, what do you want? I said, I do not want you to have <laughs> Blanche said, you are opting for one of your own choices. <laughs> well, I considered this a reflection on me, and I wasn't very proud of y'all either. She had been sober five years. Uh, you know, and so I just, uh, so I didn't tell anybody. So at one night after our big book study at our house, everybody's getting ready to leave, and I said, Rita, come here, I need to <laughs> I'm telling you, the day I got married was the happy And I'll tell you, I did. And I did not know. She was in second grade. My little gray stand said, I'm an alcoholic, and I've got <laughs> seven years of sobriety. teacher said, what did you say? <laughs> she is her mother's daughter, so she put her hands on her hips and she said, did you not hear what I said? I'm an alcoholic. I've been sober seven years. <laughs> so the teacher calls Laura. Laura says, no, 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 I'm the alcoholic. The teacher goes, what? Laura says, no, I'm sober. But you know what? Grace had been going to open AA meetings. She had been at that Northland Club before she was ever born. She never heard anybody introduce themselves any other way. <laughs> if you say introduce yourself, you say, yes, my name is, and I'm an alcoholic. And that's what that kid did. She wanted a big book. So she goes up to Gerald at the Northland, and she says, Gerald, I need a big book. And he said, okay, Grace. She says, how much do they cost? Gerald says, how much do you have? Grace says, I got this much money. Gerald said, that's just how much. Then that precious granddaughter around and she says, now I need a sponsor. <laughs> what a joy that child is. Okay, hold on to your seats. Grace just turned 16. Can you believe how time has flown? And she is still the happiest moment for me. I adore that girl. She's had some real problems, and I pray for her daily, but I would not trade back. <laughs> well, in 1993, I was in Virginia, and I, he had an abdominal aneurysm. And as sad as I was... Now I'm at the part of my story where I always wish I could into every hug I've ever received, every phone call, everybody from my school where I was teaching, and his, my friends came up to me, and they said, well, I've lived here 20, and we brought Bill back to Texas to bear. You know, I need a lot of help. Bill and I had been together Thursday, and I needed a lot of help, so I got counseling. One of them is when something happens in your life, and I met with her. To I needed all the help I could get. The kids wanted me to come home. You know, I, I have a job. I was now a director at this school. Well, the next year, both of my children got married. And I talked to this counselor named here. And she said, well, when children, your children's age, 
Laura got married in April and Wes got married in August, but they were both practice marriages. I need to tell you that when I moved to Virginia, Blanche had insisted that I get a sponsor, and I did. And then with Bill's suicide, the sponsor did not know what to do with me. And there's a gal sitting in the meetings with me named Dawn. And Dawn knew. And Dawn called my house. And so Dawn became my And she would hug me and hold me. You know, when I came into Al-Anon and I couldn't stop crying, and I would ask Blanche, what? And she said, you're grieving the loss of a dream. Almost two years of death, I walked back into my house, and I said, oh, my gosh, he information from my head to my I called married. I said, Wesley, I'm much. <laughs> so when I got ready to leave Virginia, my teacher friends are saying, where are you going? Are you going to go back to Austin? I said, oh, no, it's gotten too big. And I said, you know what? When Bill was doing his professional life, and I didn't know, he was putting money into these different funds, and they were matching it. And when he died, there was this enormous, and we've never had money. So when I start picturing what my life is going to look like two years later, I said to the teachers, you know what, I've never lived in a new house. I think I'm going to go buy a new house. And I, I love the water. I get the water. And in Virginia, you can never see sunsets. So I need to be where you So I bought a house on Lake LBJ, a brand new house. It was as if God said, okay. So I cannot believe it. So my plan is, Grace and I are going to travel. We're going to go to AA functions, and we're going to go just spend time together, and I'm just so excited. And Dawn and I are working together, but now Blanche and I have picked back up again, and I've got two of the greatest women. I can't even imagine my life without holding the hand, hands of Dawn and, and Blanche. So I'm just having a great time. And there's, I have this little problem, though, you see, I, had in, I invested my money with a man named Bruce, and so when I get to Texas and get my brand-new house, I call Bruce, and I said, Bruce, I need you to send all that money from Virginia down to Texas so that I can have somebody as an investor where I can meet with them eye-to-eye. -eye. And Bruce said, you got it. I invested my money with some. Bruce stole 350 It was like another death. I didn't know what I was doing. I had bought a new house. I had a big house payment to make, and I didn't think I could live in the house. I didn't know what I was going to do. I had no job. And I'm on my knees, and Laura's saying, Mom, pray for clear and concise direction. <laughs> I'm praying, you know. I got out the knee pads. I'm trying to pray. I'm on my knees all the time. I am saying things like, God, if you want me to go clean toilets in a prison, I'm going. I just need to know what you want me to do because I'm... I, that fear just set back in, I'm not going to be okay. Now, you know when that happens, don't you wish you would turn around and see how you have been cared for all those other times? But when you're in the middle of that fear, you have no idea what's going to happen. And I hear AAs all the time talk about self-centered fear. Let me tell you, in spades, that's me. Skip. Well, you know what God did? He built an elementary school. And did you know that they needed a first grade Oh, my gosh. I am so excited now. I have got a job. I'm going to be bringing in money. I think it's fantastic. I am really grateful for the open AA meetings because y'all have told me to pray for Bruce. And I have been every day. God bless Bruce. And, but, you know, 
I'm teaching school, and I get my first paycheck in the mail, and I am so excited. And I open it, and it's not enough to make a And I start laughing. Oh, my God. Okay, so it wasn't about money. You must want me to teach school. Okay, I'm doing the footwork. You provide the money. You know, you do it. And I've been just fine. I am self-supporting through my own contributions. I have been fine ever since. Well, I'm also, though, driving this little red Oldsmobile that has over 100,000 miles on it. And sometimes when you drive it, it just stops. And then you have to kind of wait for a little bit, and your heart race, and your palms get sweaty, and then it starts again. And, you know, and so I'm talking to Blanche, and she says, you need a car, Stephanie. What are you going to do about that? I said, Blanche, I have no money. I don't know how people buy cars when they are teachers. I don't know how they do that. And she said, well, I'm going to enter some sweepstakes for you. <laughs> you do that, Blanche. You do that. So she would call and say, I entered for a red Jeep. Do you think you can drive a red Jeep? Oh, sure, Blanche, I can drive a red Jeep. Well, uh, Blanche was in an accident, and so I would be teaching school all day, and I'd get in that little red car, and I would drive to the hospital to beach. And when I'd get there, she'd say, How? well, uh, and seven weeks later, I got a So I got in that little red O's, and I got a call from Laura the morning of the search. <laughs> She said, Mama, she wanted you to hold me accountable. She wanted you to not accept unacceptable behavior. Teach me that there were consequences for much. I think I would be dead today. Well, a few months later, I get a call from Blanche. And she said, I don't know if you're going to understand. And she's really worried about your transportation. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You know, I wish I'd had the presence of mind to say, tell her to get herself to a meeting. You know? They're bound to have fantastic ones up there. And she said, no. She said, I, I, my mother wants you to have her car. And I said, oh, I could never take this car. And she said, well, then you're going to have to argue with my mother and God. Well, Blanche's car is a 99 Cadillac. Had 23,000 miles on it. And it was all paid for. It has 127,000 miles on it. I need to find sweepstakes. Because I'm still teaching school in Granite Shoals, Texas. And I love what I do. I love what I do. And I have been just fine. You know, we limit God. We limit. Wow. So let me tell you that my daughter has married again. A wonderful fella and a sober member of AA. They are raising Grace. And Brian brought two daughters to the marriage. Uh, Wesley was married. So I have a two-year-old. Everybody in my family is so gay. Wes had a problem with some pills. He had a, has a broken back. And uh, he's mobile, but he's in And so he had uh, about a year ago since. I'm telling you, you know, the program has been there for me and for our family. And when I heard Peggy this morning, 44 years, and she's so enthusiastic. You know, I can't imagine what would happen. Then when we need it again, or when we need it continue, I am extremely grateful. Today I am dealing with a mom. She was just diagnosed a month and a half. My home group is the ODAC group. It meets Monday nights in Marble Falls at 730. If you're ever in Marble Falls, we're a little bit west of you. But I have been able to put together. 
And I do have a God that I pray I do not limit because I try to live in food. There's a guy in Oklahoma that's put out a new song called uh, Drinking From My Saucer Cause My Cup. <laughs> and you know what I feel like? I'm drinking from my... And I thank you so much.